Jesus, there's no other day in history, there's no other event in history that shows us more just how beautiful you are to us. Our words as human beings just fall flat (laughs) to try and describe even the best songs written in the world. We find there must be better words. (laughs) There must be better expressions. There must be better authors (laughs) and poets and psalm writers like Lord. (laughs) We are hungry to see your beauty and experience your grace this morning as a people. And we do. We we thank you for songwriters and worship leaders that help us. But often they all they do is open our eyes to a, a, like a, a sliver into how beautiful you are, and our hearts are trying to catch up, and our hearts want to explode with just how majestic, how loving, and how kind you are. You are beautiful to us, and I pray that. F- for folk that are in this room who you have not become beautiful yet, who are still asking the question, is this Christ beautiful? Is he loving and is he even real? I pray that this morning eyes would open, hearts would awaken to the beauty of Christ in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jono. I hope I'm not the only one. I love worship. Um, together and I love the songs that our guys are committed to reminding us of Christ but more often than not when I'm standing worshiping I'm going there must be better ways and sentences (laughs) it kind of always falls short a little bit and I'm not criticizing songs (laughs) or songwriters it's just I I think it's meant to be a bit like that that like there's always more there has to be more to Christ and who he is Um, so this morning um, I've entitled I've got one point to make you'll be very happy, Um, and that is that love moved towards us. And I deliberately chose the word there that I spend most time thinking about is us and not you. (laughs) And I did that deliberately because there's something in my heart that's growing towards God's people and that God is, um, what Christ has accomplished in Easter is towards a people, towards us, not a not me. And although salvation and personal salvation is an individually, we experience God grabbing and God has to open every individual's eyes. It doesn't, the gospel doesn't stop there. It brings us to an us. And um, when we assemble like this, it's the assembly of those that God has saved and God has opened eyes to and, and God has birthed us into church. And, and particularly in a world that is so set on individualism and me and my needs and my life and my best life, etc., and then kind of fitting God into our lives, um, I want to speak about how God's grace and love and mercy move towards us as a people. Would you turn in, to, in your Bibles, or your, whether it's on your iPhone or on your, in your paper Bibles, to, to Matthew 27. I'm just going to read a good chunk of, of the crucifixion and Jesus leading up to the cross and the cross itself, and then some of what Dave shared earlier we will share. I'm just going to talk this morning about what this means to you and I, why we remind ourselves year on year on Easter, why we celebrate it but also remember Easter freshly. Um, And as a church, we want to remember that almost weekly every time we gather. But from verse 32, we'll just read from there. As they went out, they found a man, Syrian Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross, Jesus' cross, 
And then they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of skulls, verse 34. They offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over, over him there. And over his head, they put in the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews, sarcastically mocking Jesus. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the left. And those who passed by derided, derided him, wagging um, their heads, verse 40, say, and saying, You who could, would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Again, mocking Jesus and his power. If you are the Son of God, come down from this cross. So also the thief and the priest, with the scribes and the elders, mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot even save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge filled with sour wine and put it on the reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come and save him, continuing to mock our Savior on the cross. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, a curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split were split. The tomb also were opened. Tombs were also opened, and the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Verse 33. And coming out of the tombs, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to, and he appeared to many. See, Matthew's version is a lot different to John and Luke. That's why we, we have four Gospels to read. Verse 54. Then the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, Truly, this is the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, his mother of James, and Joseph, the mother of the son of Zebedee. That's all we're going to read this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for the Gospels. Thank you for them recording what happened on this day more than 2,000 years ago. A day that literally changed history, changed the way that we relate to you, Father God. Amen. When you read this, it almost seems too bad a scenario to find any good in. It's, uh, I find the irony of Good Friday. For us, it's Good Friday. But when you read this passage, you say, what good comes from this? This is a horror story that's busy happening. But for us, it's Good Friday. When, we, when you read this passage, there's nothing good about it. A holy, perfect, sinless, innocent 
betrayed man dying at the hands of his enemies, being mocked, the holy God, the perfect God, didn't deserve it. This was not fair in any ways. We're living in a culture of fairness, isn't it? Like I hear, I hear so many people these days say that's not fair. God's not fair, or that scenario was not fair to me. My life is not fair. This is not planning out the way that we planned it. This was not a fair scenario unfolding in front of us on the cross. And why do we celebrate Easter every year? As, as Christ followers, as Christians, this is what it's all about. This is why we're in the room. This is why we have the other 52 weeks of the year gathered together worshiping Jesus, because of this Friday. And not just because of Friday, but because of Sunday that's coming. This is why we gather. This is why we're in the room. This is why you're in the room with who's sitting next to you. And I love telling and reminding our church that, that for many of us in this room, we would never ever be in the same room unless it was Christ that did a work in us. If it wasn't for Christ, I would know very, very few of you in my, my social circles or my work circles, etc. But because of Christ, we are birthed into a family that we did not choose for ourselves. And that is why we continue to remember the cross. Not just on Easter, we want to hold the cross and what Jesus has done freshly every time we gather. Jesus, this is why we're in the room. And there's four little points I want to make. First is, we had, why did Christ die on the cross? Number one, firstly, is we had and we have a sin problem. The world had an issue of sin that, that destroyed our relationship with God, that, that, that confronted by a holy God, God had to do something about sin. He couldn't be in fellowship with us. Romans 6 verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. All humans stand condemned before God. Our sins separate us from, from, who, from Him whose character is holy and, and perfect justice towards us. And our sins separated us from this God. And the nature of Jesus' death and the idea of understanding how God deals with sin by offering forgiveness comes through a sacrifice, and the sacrifice for us was Christ. Christ, there was a sin problem that you and I could do nothing about, that Christ had to intervene on our, our behalf. 1 Peter 3 says, Christ died for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. On Easter fr Sun Friday, we do, if the unrighteous is all of us, the righteous is Christ himself. There's a, there's, a, there's a contrast happening on Easter. There's the righteous dying for the unrighteous who lives. It's the, 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 the cross in Easter is a complete, it messes with our heads because we go, the righteous should live, should it not? And the unrighteous should die. On Easter, the opposite happens. The righteous die and the unrighteous come to life. That's how radical Easter is. It completely messes with the way that we would have handled or dealt with the world. That's how radical the love of God is towards you and I. It's nothing ordinary. It's nothing normal. It's nothing usual. It's nothing human about it. It's nothing, nothing that we've thought up on. Human, human beings would never think like this. We would never plan anything like this. 2 Corinthians speaks of the one who knew no sin became sin. This one, Jesus did not know what it was to sin, did not know how to sin, did not know sin. And on the cross became, carried every sin in the world upon him. It's, it's not a small thing. It's not a, a, a quick thing that we remember once a year. No, this is a massive thing. This is the thing that we want to remind ourselves week in and week day, day in, day out. And we remind ourselves because we have to, because we forget this. We forget how much He loves us. We forget how, how opposite to Him we were, how far we were from Him. We forget just how badly we were in need of salvation. 
I often speak to people that have known Christ for a while, 10 years, 5 years, 20 years, and I say, Are you, do you still know what Jesus saved you from or out of? And it's sad because many of us forget what Christ saved us out of and from and into. We forget that we, we were sinners. We forget that we were enemies. We forget that we were orphaned, that we had no hope, that we were lost and fearful, and that we, 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 we looked at, at this world for all our hope and our security and our comfort. And at salvation, Christ showed us how to take our eyes off this world and place it on Him. And David in the Psalms, today is every one of us. In Psalm 40, you don't have to go there, but I'm just going to read it for us. He's talking about this battle, and he's talking about worshiping God in, even before the cross. So even before salvation in Christ, the Israel, there was a God that was faithfully working towards the cross. And David in Psalm 40, I know, many of you will know Psalm 40, the first verse. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He rescued me. I was in my, a pit of miry clay, and, and He lifted me out. This is the, the middle and end part of that psalm. I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. This is David saying, I've told everybody how good you are and how you have rescued me, God. When we sing on a Sunday, we are singing to God, but we're also telling people next to us, my God rescued me. My God saved me. Hey, Claire, I'm next to you here, and the only reason I can sing today is because my God delivered me. Hey, and when I hear Claire sing, I'm going, she's singing because God set her free and God saved her. Isn't that, hey, can you see what we miss when we don't gather? Like, why would we not want to be in the room with those who are saved by God? I've not hidden your deliverance from within my heart. No, no, no. It's not a, my faith is not a private thing. It's not a personal thing. Yes, it's personal, but it's not private. Our faith is personal, but it's not private. It's, no, no, no. I'm going to tell everybody that this God saved me. I love that in David. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. You've saved me, but I'm going to share it. I'm not going to hide it from this world. This is David. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. That sentence, God, you will not restrain your mercy from me. It's almost like, um, like keeping dogs on a leash that wants to charge after someone. Um, if you go hunting, when you go hunting, I've been on the hunting with Claire's folks farm, and they go with the dogs to go chase the buck out of the valleys, etc., during hunting season. And when the buck starts charging, when the, when, the, when the dogs smell the buck or they want to charge, the, you, the farmers all hold them back as long as they can, and eventually they release and the dogs charge. This is, this is saying... Mercy is like that towards you and I. Mercy is charging towards you and I. It's moving towards you and I. And God is not holding back. He's actually saying, mercy, go. Like, go towards them. Move to these people. Hey, what a picture. Today, what we're experiencing today is God going, I'm not holding back on mercy. I'm not holding back on these charging dogs of mercy, if you want to call it that. And I love dogs. I'm a dog guy. But listen to verse 12 and verse 13. Like David talks like that, and then he reminds us why he can say these things. For, e for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities, my brokennesses, if it's a word, have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head. My heart has failed me. I've broken, I'm broken, I'm ashamed. 
My heart is not holy and right. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. David wasn't pretending that he didn't have sin. He didn't pretend that he wasn't broken. He didn't even pretend that his heart was pure and right. He knew his heart was his biggest issue. My heart yearns and wanders after other things. And then he says, Lord, make haste and help me. Our sin orphaned us, poisoned us, caused us to to be lost and literally killed us physically. If it wasn't for sin, you and I would never die. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, sin invades every aspect of who we are as people. But the biggest thing it did was kill off our fellowship and relationship with our Father. The biggest issue with sin is not what it's caused physically, emotionally, socially. The biggest issue with sin is that God couldn't be in the same room as you and I because of that sin. And you and I, from our side, could do nothing to earn and make it right with Him. That's why I say we had a sin problem. (laughs) We had a problem. We could not get to God. That's why He came and His mercy rushes towards us. And I love that sentence where it says, you have not restrained your mercy. The cross is God saying, I'm not holding back, not even my son from you. If you're doubting God's mercy and grace towards you, this morning I'm going to say to you, because of the cross, the fact that God would not withhold his son from you, there's not one second of your life where God is holding back mercy from you. But it also means that every second of my living life, Christ is pouring mercy towards me. I might not see it. And that's the beauty of salvation, is one day God opens our eyes and we see His mercy and our need for mercy. Because most of us, before we got saved, did not think we needed mercy or we needed God's saving or that we had an issue with sin. We all go, we were fine. I'm a good person. I don't need salvation. And then one day you wake up and you're going, oh boy, I need salvation. One day you're like David going, Lord, make haste, save me quickly. <laughs> Do it as, I don't know, I was like that as a teenager. When I realized this where and how messed up I was as a young guy, I, I was like, can you quickly save me, God? Can you do it in a hurry? I need it done yesterday. Uh, if it could be backdated, I'd backdate my salvation. And I'm sure many of us feel that way about ours. God moved towards us to bring us close to him. 1 Peter 3 verse 18 says, Christ died for sins once and for all, never again, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Why did Christ die on Easter? To bring you and I to our Father, to reconcile us to a holy God that's nothing like us. That's why the only reason, the reason He died was to reconcile you to his father, that you could have a relationship with the father, so that what, what, da- what David read about, that we can with confidence enter into his presence, that is impossible without today happening, without salvation, without the cross. Ephesians 2, 3, 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, <laughs> have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You and I were wandering. We were on our own issue. We were far from God. We were nothing like Him. But because of the blood shed on Easter Friday that we celebrate, we are now brought close to our God. When we worship, we can sense our Father in the room with us. We can, when we read Scripture, He's with us in the room, in the car, wherever we're reading, wherever we're speaking to Him. 
Spurgeon said this about, so Dave mentioned before we doing worship about the curtain being torn. And the symbol there is that the obstacle, the, 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 the curtain or the, the ha, what's the word I'm looking for? What, whatever stood between you and God has been completely destroyed by the cross. No entrance sign ripped off, doors open, curtains ripped apart. Now we all get to enter. This is how Spurgeon puts it. He says, when Christ opened the Holy of Holies, he did not make a little slit. But the veil of the temple was rent in two from top to bottom so that the biggest sinner that ever lived might come through it to the blood-sprinkled mercy seat of Christ. Jesus didn't just tear a little thing. He ripped it apart and made a hole big enough that the biggest sinner in the room, in this world, could walk through and find mercy on the seat of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? We often think, like, I've just done too much bad in my life that I don't know if the gap that, that God's got open for me is going to ever close. Is the window of opportunity going to close? Is God's mercy going to run out? Is, the, is His forgiveness really enough for what I've done? Is His acceptance going to last for eternity? Or is, is He one day going to grow tired of holding my hand and go, oh, sorry, Warren, you're just too much hard work, but you're on your own, buddy. That day's never, not even for Warren. It's, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Warren might one day go, I'm done. I can't. We're never going to hear those words from Jesus. I'm done with you. I can't hold on to you. Hey, have you thought of that? As a Christ, if you're a Christ follower, if you're, if you're saved, if Jesus gripped, opened your eyes to the gospel, have you thought of the fact that once he's gripped hold of you, he's never going to let go? It changes the whole ballgame, doesn't it? The way that we relate to him. The fact that the curtain's been ripped and I can, with anything and everything I've done wrong, the gap is big enough for me to go through. We play touch rugby weekly with youngsters. And as I've grown older, I've needed bigger gaps to run through. <laughs> Purely, not because I'm big, Peter Monaghan, because I'm not fast enough to go through small gaps. It's a, it's a thing about pace and speed. It's got nothing to do with size. And God leaves this incredible gap that we get to run through with as we are. With our stuff, my stuff, I get to run through this gap and my past and the devil can't touch me and I get to his mercy seat. That's how big the gap is. That's what happened 2,000 years ago for you and I. Not just today, every day of my life. Every day. Whether I've had a bad or a good day, I get to run through the gap. And even my past, all Satan is not going to touch me or stop me. I'm going to reach the, the mercy seat of my father. Hey, how good is that? I don't know how many, if you've ever played rugby, it's, a, it's amazing running through gaps. We get to run through gaps. In a book that's, that's been incredible for us over the last while, um, Gentle and Lowly by Ortland, he speaks about the cross, and this is what Ortland says about the cross. He says, on the cross, we see what God did to satisfy his yearning for us. He went that far. He went all the way. The blushing eff effusiveness of heaven's bowels funneled down into the crucifixion of Christ. Repent of your small thoughts of God's heart. <laughs> Repent and let him love you. Ortland's arguing in this book that we have, we have shrunk the size of God's love and mercy towards us. To how other people love and show mercy towards us to human levels. And he's saying we need to repent 
of a small view of God's love and mercy towards us. And we say yes to the incredible mercy and grace that He has and open our hearts towards that because it's nothing like human love or human nature or human unconditional love. And in the, in the cross, we, the focus is Christ on the cross this morning and over Easter. But it was God's plan and design. Jesus did it, and the Holy Spirit empowered him to do it. So Easter is not, yes, it's Jesus, but it's the Trinity working together for you and I to be in the room and enjoy this. And the last two little points, not little, but big points. God showed us who he was and what he was on Easter. This is If you want to say to people, what's God like? Talk about Easter. If anybody wants to ask you, what is God like? Speak about Easter. <laughs> Explain to them why Easter happened, how it happened, what took place. God in Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who is God? God's the kind of God, or this God that we worship, loved me before I loved him. And while I was fighting, and still his enemy, another, another version, version says, he loved and came towards me. That's how great this God is that I worship. But often we go, no, God is grumpy, he's angry, he's got rules and laws, and we start with the stuff that God is. Why don't we start with God's love and grace for a change and remind people this is who God is. Easter is a reminder. And Christ's death puts beyond all doubt the fact that God loves us. It assures us that no matter what life throws at us, we can trust Him. We can trust that no matter how bad that curtain is ripped, He's paid the price for you and I. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, will He also graciously give us all things? If He would give us His Father on the cross, why would He hold normal stuff away from us or from us? No, he's not. His mercy charges, in David's word, without restraint. God's not saying, hey, I can reach you, but I'm just going to stand and watch you like this. This is not our Father. Our Father's not watching us going, oh, shame, John, are you struggling? It's really, really horrible. I, I feel for you. Let me send you a little message or a text message and hope you feel better. No, God gets involved and mercy rushes towards us. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes we can't even see mercy coming, but I can promise you, because of this, I believe it's coming and it is rushing towards you. No matter what you're facing, I know that God's mercy is not being withheld from you. And I keep saying to people, even in counseling, when people are going through the darkest things, I, I find myself saying, I want to remind you that God is not withholding mercy and grace from you right now. It's still coming at you and still moving towards you in this. Forgiveness is costly. It had to be paid. The price for our sin had to be dealt with. It had to be canceled out. It had to be paid for. And at the cross, we see that only God's love overcame that. It was God's love that moved him to the cross. Yes, he's just. Yes, there is wrath towards sin. Yes, there is a holiness and an otherness that God is nothing like us. But God's wrath didn't, didn't cause Jesus to die on the cross. God's justice didn't cause... No, it says... Because of his love for you, he moved to the cross. Because he loved you. That is the, you can't argue about which of God's characteristics is the biggest. <laughs> is he merciful? Is he gracious? Is he just? Is he 
Is he going to revenge sin? And is he going to punish sin? The thing that we read in Scripture is the thing that caused him to move to you and I, and towards you and I is love. It's his love that moved him. It's for God so loved you. It didn't say because God had a score to settle with sin, Jesus came. No, no, no. It says because he loved us that he came. He moved towards us to, in love. And lastly, why we get to boast in the cross. You and I get to brag in the cross. Why do we get to boast in the cross? Well, the simplest reason is because we can't boast in ourselves. <laughs> if you understand the gospel and you understand the cross, you know I've got nothing. I brought nothing other than my broken sinfulness to this thing. I've got nothing to brag about on Easter Sunday. <laughs> I only get to brag about him and his grace towards me. But that shouldn't just be on Easter Sunday. It should be for the rest of our lives. As Christ follows, for the rest of our lives, the only thing we get to boast in is that someone loved me like this and thought it good to save me and open my eyes to his amazing grace. And I get to benefit and live because of that. See, the death of Jesus is for life, not just for Easter. It's like, this is not just an Easter thing. This is for the rest of my life. I want to remember this day. I want to remember this God. I want to remember that I have, nothing, I have brought nothing other than be the recipient of incredible grace and mercy to this thing. And then I treat people like that. See, I'm not measuring my holiness towards your holiness or my religiousness towards... No, no, no. We're all in the same boat here. The curtain that was ripped, every single one of us in this room had to walk through that rip in the curtain. Every single one of us. And none of us, if it wasn't for that rip, would have walked through that, would have qualified to go through. Hey, uh, sink, let that sink in just in your thinking. Everyone in this room, none of us would have walked through that curtain, were good enough, lived a life holy enough to walk through that and open the curtain for ourselves. And none of us would have walked through if it wasn't ripped for us. <laughs> no one in this room lived so well that the curtain did not need to be ripped for you to walk through. He had to die. The curtain had to be ripped for you to walk through and experience His grace and His mercy. We boast in Him. We boast in Jesus and who He is. And Paul says this, I pray for each of you. We join Paul when he says in Galatians, I will never boast about anything. I, I would love to be able to say that. I would, there's so many things that we find ourselves boasting in, isn't it? Even religious, even spiritual things. I will never boast, this is Paul being brave, I will never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that Paul said this with all his heart, but for the rest of his life it was his mission to find himself only boasting in Christ and find himself, I'm not going to boast in this. I'm not going to boast in being right or righteous. <laughs> I'm not going to boast in being correct and, and being faithful because on my unfaithful day, what do I have to boast in? No, on my unfaithful day, I still get to boast in Christ. In the days when I'm unrighteous and broken, I still get to boast in Christ because it's, it's not in my hands. <laughs> I don't get to boast and brag about how I'm doing because of how well I'm doing. I get to boast because of what has been done for me. We sin in the Garden of Eden when Satan came in the tree and offered the tree and said, Hey, God's holding out on you. Eat of the tree of the word of knowledge and you will be like God and nothing will be held from you. And, on, and we in the dilemma, and we, need, and we needed the cross 
because we felt God was holding out on us. Adam and Eve thought, God, you're holding out on us. And what's his answer 2,000 or 6,000 years after Eden, depending on how you believe how old the earth is? But years later, what was God's answer? On a tree, his son dying, God forever and eternity speaks to the world saying, I'm holding back nothing from you. We in this hole, because we believed, God, you're holding out on me. You're holding back on me. You're holding something from me. But on Easter, God speaks to us and he says, honor, church, my son on the cross, I will hold nothing back from you. I am for you and I am moving and mercy is not being, I will not restrain mercy from you. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask a few questions. Maybe just while you bow your head, you can just reflect on those things. We, we have to find a place where we're happy to acknowledge that you and I personally either have or had and we continue to have a sin issue. Sin is something that we don't avoid as Christ followers. We, we acknowledge that it's because of sin that Christ had to die. It is because of sin that we could not be in fellowship with God. We had a sin problem. And your journey in faith begins with acknowledging that you are a sinner in desperate need of deliverance and salvation, that you are orphaned because of your sin. But unless we ever get to the place where we can acknowledge and own our own sin and say, I am, I was, we can't move forward. We can't move from there. Because then you don't really need a Savior then you don't really need the curtain to be ripped and, and a gap to be created for you to run through towards your Father's mercy. And this morning, God's mercy, not because Arno says, because Scripture says, God's Word says His mercy is not restraint. It is coming and moving towards you and I. Maybe some of you this morning, for the very first time, must must get yourself to the place where God is going to help you get to the place where you go, I am a sinner in need of saving. Maybe for the first time you, you get into the place where you acknowledge and saying, I can't save myself. And I would encourage you, if that's you this morning, I'm going to, all you do is to your Father, privately, where you are, you can just, Father God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner, that I've sinned, that I cannot save myself. I can't reconcile myself to you. I can't deliver myself. I can't adopt myself into your family. You have to adopt me. Thank you for your mercy that you showed on the cross through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you do not withhold mercy and grace from me. That the cross once and for eternity speaks of a God that does not hold back mercy and grace and love towards his children. Lord, we choose or our run through that gap that you've created in the curtain. Thank you that your gap that you've torn open for me is wide enough for me to get through with all my nonsense, with all my pride, with all my self-righteousness. Can you see why that applies to us if we Christ followers? Because our salvation happened, but it continues to take place and grow in our lives. And 
and week by week, day by day, we need to repent of our own sinful brokenness, our self-righteousness, our, our arrogances, our, our need to be right or our need to be proven right. We, we can lay those things down, Christians. We lay those down w- daily, weekly, every day of our lives. Jesus, here I am. You the one. I boast in you. I boast in your grace towards me. I boast in your mercy, never ever ceasing or stopping charging after me. Jesus, thank you for, Father, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for coming and laying down your life. Sinless becoming sin for us. Righteous for the unrighteous. We get to walk out as righteous before Christ because of what you did, Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with Christ. Thank you for empowering Jesus and being with him. And on Sunday, we're going to celebrate, Holy Spirit, you raising Christ from the dead in all your power. But this morning, we just want to pause. and Maybe you've grown weary in believing that God's mercy is towards you. Maybe you've heard it and you go, yeah, I believe it because you say it, honor, and the Bible says it, but I don't really believe that God's mercy is moving towards me. I, honest, I, I genuinely feel that there are folk like that amongst us this morning. That, that knowing and believing is a very big difference in our lives and our hearts. And if you're there this morning... I'm pleading with God that He would open your heart to seeing through the cross, through Jesus, that He is for you. He hasn't walked away. He hasn't ceased pouring and and releasing His mercy and grace towards you in your life. And if you're there, could I boldly ask you, just in your own words, find the words to say, Jesus, I can see you on the cross. I want to repent and say sorry for questioning your mercy and your grace towards me. Lord, I'm sorry that I don't believe that you love me or that you are for me or that you are still towards me. We're living in an incredibly challenging season where where our eyes can be on the things that we've lost or the things that we're losing or the things that we don't have right now. But folk, I want to say to you, When your heart realizes and God shows you that in Christ on the cross, we have everything we need. Everything. Remember it says that, and He gives us all things. (laughs) He gives us all things through His mercy and through His grace. We can freely repent and say, sorry God. God, I'm so sorry I've taken my eyes off you. I'm so sorry that I, I don't believe that your mercy, but today I'm convinced again by your word, by your spirit, by you, Jesus. That God, you are for me. That you are moving towards me. That your mercy and grace is moving and has moved and will forever move towards me. And no matter what my life is like now, no matter what I'm disappointed in, what I'm angry at, what I've lost, your mercy has not stopped and will never stop moving and flowing towards me, your son and your daughter. Let's get to our feet and we're going to sing together and then at the end of the song, I'm going to pray and we'll We'll break bread together or we'll share communion together.